Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show, your source for the latest news and trends in the e-commerce industry. Featuring host Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, SVP of Commerce at Razorfish, and Scott Wingo, founder and executive chairman of Channel Advisor. Here are Jason and Scott. Welcome to the Jason and Scott Show. This is episode 140 being recorded on Friday, August 3rd, 2018. I'm your host, Jason Retail Geek Goldberg, and as usual, I'm here with your co-host, Scott Wingo. Hey, Jason, and welcome back, Jason and Scott Show listeners. Well, Jason, one of our favorite topics on the show, and certainly something near and dear to your heart, is payments. Uh, and here in 2018, you cannot think about payments without thinking about one of the top payment companies out there, Stripe. We are very excited to have on the show Lockie Groom, who is the head of Stripe Issuing, uh, here with us today. He is employee number 30, and we're really excited to have you, Lockie. Welcome to the Jason Scott Show. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, we're super excited, and I'm eager to jump into payments uh, but before we do, um, one of the things we always like to do on the show is have our guests give a little bit of a background uh, of their career and sort of how they came to their role. And particularly in your case, um, it seems like Stripe was still a very small entrepreneurial company when you came to them. So could you could you give us the kind of uh, the version of your career project uh, progression? Sure. So I I started sort of in in online development, startups, things of that nature, pretty young. My my granddad actually taught me HTML uh, when I was a kid, which got me pretty fascinated with the internet. And from there, I had a I started a business creating websites for friends and family, and and that sort of just just grew into servicing clients around the world. Uh, and I I I got started in 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 sort of something tangentially related to payments when I started a company called Cardnap, which is a, it was a gift card marketplace. Uh, and I, I, I built this site out in Australia. It looked pretty similar to a company called Plastic Jungle here in the US. And it was sort of just a nightmare to set up, setting up this marketplace where I had to accept payments and pay people out and manage inventory and, and verifications. And, and so I ended up pivoting that business to be something else that, that didn't really have all of those complexities. Uh, and, and from there, that, that really just kicked off my fascination with, with startups and tech. And so I knew I wanted to move out to uh, San Francisco and uh, had, a, had a few friends that worked at Stripe, didn't really understand this whole uh, developer tools thing until they explained it to me and explained how starting my business back in Australia could have been so much simpler if something like Stripe had have existed. Uh, and that, that began my, my journey at Stripe as one of the, the first few business hires. I initially focused on, on one of our products, a product called Checkout. And then I moved into international expansion where I, I helped Stripe launch in Singapore, Australia, New Zealand, Hong Kong, uh, and, and a bit of the rest of Europe. And from there, I, I worked on partnerships and our core payments product, working with all the different credit card networks, building our core payment acceptance infrastructure and uh, after doing that for a few years, I got fascinated with the whole other side of of, of payment acceptance and the credit card networks, which is, is sort of where I've I've landed today, issuing cards and, and sort of making payments rather than uh, focusing just on on accepting them. Very cool. Um, and are you talking to us today from San Francisco, from the Bay Area? I am. Yeah, we we just moved oh, into awesome. a new office here and talking to you from from San Francisco. 
Oh, congratulations. Um, and for listeners that aren't super familiar with Stripe, can you give us a kind of the, the high level overview of, of uh, what you guys do and where you sit in the ecosystem? Sure. So fundamentally, we're a global technology company. We build economic infrastructure for the internet. So we work with businesses of all sizes, from from brand new startups to public companies like Salesforce and Facebook, uh, who all use Stripe to to power some some part of their economic infrastructure, you know, accepting online payments, managing their businesses online. So we've got millions of customers in over a hundred hundred or so different countries that use Stripe to start, run, and scale their business. Uh, and one thing that we've really been focused on is just reducing the barriers uh, to entry for starting a business and then subsequently growing it and scaling it, especially internationally. Uh, and we fundamentally believe that we're still in the early days of the Internet's potential, uh, and we're seeing people use Stripe to build the kinds of companies that couldn't exist 10 years ago. New models like online crowdfunding or on-demand apps, e-commerce marketplaces, uh, really high-growth companies with a broad appeal, uh, and, and we build the, the tools that allow them to, to start those kinds of businesses and, and scale them out. Very cool. Let's um let's kind of jump into some payments, just topics that that we've covered on the show. Would love to hear what you guys are seeing out there. Uh, there's been a lot of innovation around you know touchless payments, so uh, you know Google Pay, Apple Pay, and those kinds of things. Uh, if my memory serves me right, you guys were like one of the first folks to really kind of support uh, you know those platforms. Um, how how are they doing? Any thoughts on on where that's going? Yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a huge fan of of these kinds of payment methods. I think it is if you've got an iPhone and you're paying with Apple Pay, it's almost the perfect payment experience. Uh, you know, there's been some I think some hitches with the new Face ID method, but when it was Touch ID and you just press that one button to pay, I thought that was you know it's almost perfect. You don't even need to think about the payment experience, which is is our real aspiration to make payments fade into the background. It shouldn't need to be this this thing that consumers think about. Uh, and so for me, Apple Pay, is, I think that it's had an even bigger impact on purchases online than purchases offline. Uh, we, we work with, uh, with a bunch of companies that, that have the Apple Pay flow as a core part of their e-commerce flow or their mobile checkout flow. And one, one of those companies, Instacart, which is a, a marketplace here in San Francisco and, and throughout the rest of the U.S. for uh, purchasing groceries, they see their customers check out. I think it's around 58% faster with Apple Pay. Uh, and so it's just these kinds of methods really simplify the payment flow. So it's something that we're we're really bullish on the trend that we're seeing. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and I, I have seen some similar stats. Uh, there, uh, there definitely is a sort of universal axiom that if you have a lower friction checkout option, be it Apple Pay or or Samsung Pay or even the the payment API built into the, uh, the, the many of the web browsers now, which I know you also support, uh, mm-hmm. that not only do people check out faster, but just conversions higher. They have much less abandonment. And so yeah. they, you literally make more money. Yeah, we, we see that across a bunch of different users where they're seeing typically double the conversion rates with when a, when a consumer uses a method like Apple Pay. They don't need to go fetch that credit card number. Uh, it's, it's ultimately great for businesses. And that's an area that we, we try and focus is how can we reduce the friction to improve the, uh, the, the conversion rate. Yep. And, and so at the risk of alienating uh, the Apple Pay team, which uh, in all seriousness, I know our listeners of the show, um, Apple Pay is awesome. The 
traditional knock on Apple Pay is obviously the whole world doesn't use or have access to Apple Pay, right? Like that, you yep. know, uh, a minority of users are carrying an Apple device and, you know, as good as Apple is at, at upgrading everyone, uh, there's still a lot of deployed Apple devices that aren't Apple Pay compatible. And so it, it like the the traditional knock was it's a great conversion tool for this uh, very affluent, high spending right. um, subset of the market. But it's now feeling like even if it's not Apple Pay, if it's Samsung Pay or or uh, Microsoft Pay or um, uh, Google Pay or, or Pimmin API, that you know we're starting to get to a critical mass where the overwhelming majority of shoppers have access to one of those easier payment things. It's becoming much more ubiquitous. Yeah, absolutely. And as you mentioned, with the payment request API, it's now really coming to browsers as well with quick ways of checking out. Uh, and so now that I think pretty much every major phone manufacturer has one of these methods, uh, we're seeing it at least come to ubiquity in terms of the, the apps that are adopting it. And now it's really just driving the consumer adoption and getting those cards into those wallets. Yep. And tell me if I have this right. Like if, uh, if I built an e-commerce experience and I used uh, uh, an older school, more traditional payment gateway, I, I program my own checkout flow. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm doing some sort of interface to that that payment gateway, and then some new technology comes to the market, like uh, the mobile the payment API. Uh, my developers have to go in and update my checkout flow, and so you know I, that's got to get in the roadmap, and uh, it's competing with a bunch of other priorities, and it might take a, w- a while before I support it. Uh, but one of the benefits uh, uh, to Stripe clients is that they're uh, they're actually using a Stripe checkout flow. So when some new payment system um, becomes available and you guys jump on supporting it quickly, that propagates to to a large part or all of your your users uh, basically instantly. Do I do I have that right, or am I overselling you? Yeah, you're, we're, we're going to hire you on our, on, our, on our team to describe it to our customers. Uh, so we have a bunch of tools and, and what we focus on is building tools to make it quick for merchants and developers to react to these kinds of trends. Uh, before Apple Pay existed, people didn't really imagine Apple Pay would, would have existed. And so it wasn't this easy thing for them to comprehend adding. And so what, what we're focused on building is things that they can effectively drag and drop in. One thing that we find is that merchants or businesses, they really like to control their checkout experience. It's something they, they generally feel uh, just a, a lot of protectiveness over. And so what we give them is the ability to add that really seamlessly. There are options where they can they can effectively outsource that checkout experience to us and we'll continuously update it with the, with the latest you know, payment methods that we see or if they're expanding to new countries, payment methods of, of different countries. Uh, so we, we kind of have two parts. One is where you just want to drop in something like Apple Pay and then not need to do any other work beyond that that little update. And the other where we'll continuously update the checkout experience. Got it. Um, and I, is it fair to say, like, in my mind, sort of the original market positioning, whether this was uh, accidental or intentional is, is you've always been the really developer friendly option. And so it feels like, like you guys turned up in a lot of experiences because the product manager left it to the developer to comp something up. And you guys had this, you know, you know, great API examples on your website and the developer would grab your sample code and get it implemented quickly. And, and that that was probably, you know, sort of one of your uh, original conquest strategies for getting a lot of customers. 
Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. When when Stripe got started, there was no easy way to accept payments online, and it, it would be a developer that's starting this company, and they would be the one that picked the the payment solution, and they would want the easiest one to get up and running. But increasingly, we're seeing larger companies uh, come to us for the same, where their larger companies are increasingly recognizing the developer leverage uh, that that they have, the, the scarcity of engineering resources, and the importance to pick the solution that will allow them to move the quickest and react to trends like Apple Pay. And I think Apple Pay really is a great example there, where if you're running on a legacy stack, it may take months and months to get this this into the market, whereas that nimble startup competitor or you know, even even a larger company that has uh, better engineering tools or developer tools can get it out in the market in time for launch. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I I'll, I'll fully say I am uh, still super disappointed in the percentage of e-commerce sites that don't support the the payment API, which to me seems like a a big miss. Sort of, uh, but going to your point about you know uh, how resource constrained for developers. So many of these sites are. Um, yeah, it just doesn't make I, any sense that that they're they're not adding these things. It's leaving conversions on the table, top line revenue, uh, and so it's it really holds customer companies back not having, I think, the best developer tools out there. It's it's similar trend with uh, with AWS, where companies have gone from on-premise hosting or building their own data centers, recognizing that if you have a provider like AWS, you'll just be able to move so much faster. It puts you on on equal footing. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny, like at the moment, um, so we talk a lot about mobile e-commerce on on this show. Um, and and for years, we've been talking about this thing called the mobile gap, which still exists, which is essentially, uh, hey, way more users are, are shifting from desktop browsers to mobile browsers. It's the majority of traffic on most big sites now. But the conversion rate on those mobile devices is is poor compared to desktop. Maybe it used to be a third and now it's approaching uh, a half. Um, and like, I, I look at that, uh, uh, Apple pay, but certainly the, the payment API as a, as low hanging fruit, uh, to improve that mobile gap. And then I, you know, now have this macro thing, which is admittedly more work and not necessarily, uh, exclusively you guys, but progressive web apps, Mm -hmm. um, is another huge tool in that arsenal and, and a a very small number of e-commerce sites have successfully, gotten that stuff done yet like do you guys see those kind of mobile trends and are there any other mobile trends yeah that uh, we we see the same thing we 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 continuously review the largest e-commerce sites and we we did a recent review of the top 100 commerce sites globally and 72 of them had greater than three errors in their checkout flows things that could really easily be improved to reduce friction for their consumers to pay them and a lot of those errors were mobile related one-fifth of those sites uh, made mobile checkout significantly harder by not having a numerical keypad for entering credit card numbers uh, almost half of them didn't have autofill correctly set up it's little things like that where you just you just give up you try and you you, you know you decide you'll wait until you're back on desktop and then the purchase never really ends up happening. Oh yeah. And it's, uh, and I have to admit like being a practitioner in the space, it is like a huge pet peeve of mine. It's like nails on a chalkboard when like developers don't get their input mask right and you get the wrong, wrong, (laughs) wrong keyboard for input. Uh, I'm a big fan of, um, uh, predictive type ahead for address entry and stuff like that. And, you know, you still, uh, don't see that enough. So it's, it's crazy, but it's uh, uh, not surprising that you're you're seeing similar 
similar trend. The, these things really aren't hard to build. It's just it it it's kind of crazy that everyone has to do it themselves. And so an area we've focused is how do we build the tools such that everyone is on equal footing? Everyone gets the the lessons of the best practices and we're positioned really well to know what converts well, what what consumers like. And so that that's that's been a big area of focus for us in the past few years is how do we take all the learnings we have developed from from servicing millions of businesses uh, around the world and applying those to uh, letting businesses have the right defaults from the get-go. Very cool. One thing I wanted to talk a little bit more about, I'm the marketplace guy on the show, and there's been an explosion of marketplaces uh, and started with products, and now we're seeing a lot around uh, what I would call on-demand services. And I I know that's an area where you guys do a ton. Um, Tell us about uh, some of the things Stripe does around marketplaces. Yeah, we got, we got started with marketplaces a number of, number of years ago. uh, And the, the way it happened is pretty interesting because before that, Stripe was was if you're accepting payments from customers, uh, and we didn't really focus on what you would then do with those funds. Uh, and we started to get some pretty interesting requests, and, and one of them was from from Lyft. This must have been five or so years ago, where they they had this request to add multiple bank accounts to their Stripe account, and we're scratching our heads wondering what they were looking to do there. Uh, we found out they, they had this process of cutting checks to pay their drivers, and they were wondering, why can't Stripe just automate that part like they do with, with our, our daily payout? And that seemed to be a pretty common problem amongst a number of the, the marketplaces that, that used Stripe at that point in time. They had all these back office operations, and they were all doing the exact same thing. And it, it seemed like a real opportunity for us to uh, really simplify that, provide an API for it, and, and fundamentally automate it. Uh, and so that was something we, we began doing about five years ago. Uh, we, we've called that product Stripe Connect. Uh, and we internally, we call that the payments platform for platforms. It's it's a marketplaces and platforms use Stripe Connect to accept money and then pay out to third parties. And we provide everything in the middle to do that compliantly, you know, handle the tax reporting, uh, the the identity verification and onboarding, compliance with the different uh, regulatory laws and uh, pretty much everything you need to do to manage a marketplace online as it relates to the movement of money. Very cool. And then um, I couldn't help but notice your title now has card issuing in there. And, you know, one of the challenges you have in these kind of digital and physical marketplaces is uh, if I send, uh, you mentioned Instacart earlier, if I send a, you know, a 1099 shopper to go buy some groceries for a customer, uh, I'm going to need to pay the grocery store. And, you know, that, that, quote unquote shopper isn't going to want to come out of pocket for that. Is, right. is that kind of what's going on with the card issuer thing? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. There's a, there's a bunch of different use cases that, that Stripe issuing can solve. And, and fundamentally, it is infrastructure like the rest of Stripe's products. Uh, and, and it's infrastructure that relates to money movement. And so Instacart, uh, to use that example, they have that store of funds that they have taken from, from customers that they need to move to a uh, grocery retailer that they don't necessarily have a contractual relationship with. And, and the best way of doing that is with a, with a credit card. And so what we're providing to, to companies like theirs is an API to issue cards, both physical and virtual, and then dynamically control the spend. So for example, Instacart would know exactly when a sort of a, a shopping session is taking place and they would only want to authorize transactions in that window. They would know exactly which store it's happening at and they would only want to approve trans- 
transactions at that store. And so we give you or the customer complete flexibility on on how they use those cards and what what transactions can go through them. But again, fundamentally, it's infrastructure. And so that's one use case of uh, of, of many uh, that, that we could support. That's awesome. And it, it feels like uh, marketplaces are really expanding, like certainly internationally, but even here in the U.S., uh, we're getting more marketplaces and a, a wider uh, set of use cases for marketplaces almost every week. Uh, are there any um, surprising trends or particular learnings that you would want to share with new entrepreneurs that are getting into the marketplace model? Yeah, there's you know, the two, obviously two sides to a marketplace. You've got your, your buyers and your sellers. Uh, and we focus on both sides, on the on the buyers building tools to, to service those customers, things like Apple Pay, make the, the transaction experience incredibly easy. Uh, and then on the sellers with that Stripe Connect product I was talking about. Uh, but one, one interesting thing we, we've, we've discovered recently from our data, we have thousands of marketplaces that use us and, you know, obviously not all marketplaces grow at the same pace. We found that marketplaces with higher seller retention rates generate much greater revenue than the others. This may sound obvious, but it's in contrast to buyer retention. Higher buyer retention isn't really associated from, from our data with significant revenue increases. We, we, we saw that increasing seller retention by one percentage point predicts 10x more revenue than the same one percentage point increase uh, in buyer retention. I thought this was a pretty fascinating stat. Yeah, that's always a challenge for entrepreneurs is is how how do you grow these uh, marketplaces and do you put all your resources on the the seller side or the the buyer side or uh, as, as Scott likes to advise, uh, like you clearly need to balance it, right? But it, it's, it's, it really highlights you need to think about how you retain sellers and, you know, what, what do sellers care about? One thing that we've found they really care about is the speed of their payment. So they're, they're delivering value on a marketplace and then they need to get paid. Uh, and so one, one area we've focused there is how can we reduce that payout cycle? You know, I get paid every two weeks, uh, but as a competitive advantage on one of these marketplaces, marketplaces, how can you bring that down? And so with a partner like Lyft, we built a product called Instant Payouts. Uh, and so they can get paid out right after they complete uh, a ride. And now over 50% of, of Lyft's drivers take advantage of that instant payout functionality. Uh, and, and so that, that's an area where we like to focus as well. What are the, what are the ways in which we can help platforms differentiate uh, to, to better service their, their sellers, not just the buyers? Very cool. Um, so pivoting off marketplaces a little bit, uh, you, you talked at the very early part about international um, and you have a, a cool international accent. So this ties in with your accent, I guess. Uh, what are some interesting international payment trends you guys are seeing? Uh, you, you read all about uh, Alipay and, and what's going on there. And you know China has a lot of really interesting things. I'm curious to see some of the, the trends you're seeing internationally. I think one of the most interesting things just at a top level is how hard it is for marketplaces to expand internationally. There is, there is a whole different regulatory environment, different payment methods, as you're highlighting, both on the acceptance side and on the payout side. Uh, and so it's, it's, I honestly find it pretty impressive any marketplace that has managed to build infrastructure to take them from one country to many, just because of all of the complexity involved in that expansion. And I, I think that's that's just so hard to understate uh, the the power of that, uh, and so it's it's you know it's, I I love it as a consumer of something like Uber where I can use it in the U.S. and then go to a different country and it just works out of the box the same app and so it's really impressive the infrastructure they've built 
in the in the background. Uh, but in terms of payment methods, you know, money is money is oddly cultural, uh, and so we're seeing in in every country we go to and we expand into, uh, there's a, an entirely new set of payment methods that we have to uh, have to deal with. And so in the U.S., obviously, everyone uses credit cards, uh, and in, in France, it's the same. Over 80% of online purchases are credit cards, but for uh, neighboring Germany, uh, it's less than 25%, and they use something called SEPA, which is effectively just a, a bank transfer. And so with each of these new countries, marketplaces or retailers have to think about how they accept money from their consumers, and, and we can't just take this US-centric view of, of credit cards and debit cards dominate. Very cool. A lot of companies, yourselves included, sort of started out in the digital realm, accepting payments online. Uh, But we've seen a number of them sort of extend to physical payments and sort of omni-channel use cases. Is that something you guys are doing as well? Yeah. And, you know, I think there's... There's more than just sort of the point of sale devices there. We see a lot of like when you think of something like Lyft, fundamentally you're you're operating with a real world service. You're you're getting into a car, and so what is uh, an online payment? What is an offline payment anymore? And and they've solved that by the having the payment experience just happen in the background. You don't even think about uh, transacting. There's no no real time exchange of uh, information with each ride that takes place or, or transaction. Uh, and so that's an area where we really try to push the businesses that are working with Stripe, think about how to make payments fade into the background. But obviously with with retail uh, transactions and we work with companies like Shopify and Warby Parker who have uh, store or their, their, their merchants have storefronts. And so uh, we power point of sale systems for them as well. But fundamentally, it's about unifying those systems. And so it's a single system with Stripe. So they can look at customers online, look at customers offline uh, and make it as seamless as possible one thing that's kind of interesting as a um, so one of one of the i'm a serial entrepreneur and one of my companies was a was kind of a platform play if you will or tools for developers sometimes it's hard to kind of you know ask you know figure out when to stop if you guys so like on the marketplace example you could go into helping marketplaces recruit sellers you could go into you, you kind of hint you know said that you do a little bit of verification um, you could even go into like background checking of drivers or something like yeah. that how do you guys think about how deep you want to go and then like no we stop here and this is kind of where this is the platform anything above it is not us how, how do you guys think about that it's a really good question. Uh, and you know, I, I wish I had some framework I could just give to you, but fundamentally, we talk to our users. What, what are the common themes of problems that they're all having? Uh, and, and then we do our best to solve them. We generally don't go into super niche use cases uh, and, and sort of solve just for one vertical. We like to look at the problems that pretty much all marketplaces are having, or in the case of subscription businesses, pretty much all subscription businesses are having, and then build software to to the extent that is useful for sort of the 80%. And then where those nuances come in for maybe a very verticalized business, uh, they build that last 20% that's really specific to their business or the, the needs of those customers. And this is where we try through the APIs that we build uh, to make it generic enough to handle that wide variety of use cases and just really focus on the infrastructure. And so maybe that's one way of thinking about it. What is infrastructural versus sort of what sits on top of the infrastructure? Cool. 
Uh, one topic that's in the news a lot lately is security. Um, it's kind of interesting as an e-commerce guy. I think it's interesting that you know the variety of hacks you read about now are kind of happening out on the the physical point of sale system. It seems like, um, but I know uh, full disclosure uh, at my current company Spiffy, we use Stripe, and one of the reasons we love it is uh, at my previous company we went out and we had to build out that whole PCI stack ourselves. Oh, wow! Uh, and I uh, I love that we can just use Stripe, and you know we don't even see the credit cards. You guys take care of all that. And we just kind of, you know, we, we, we get PCI compliance, quote unquote, for free. Mm-hmm. Um, what, uh, you know, give us a little, little blurb about security in today's world and, and, you know, how Stripe looks at that and any trends you're seeing there. Yeah, I mean, you've kind of said it all. We we really try and make uh, security uh, a core feature of the Stripe offering that, again, something folks don't need to think about. It's just a, a strong default. Uh, and there's all this talk of, of tokenization in the payment schemes uh, or the payments world these days, but it's something that Stripe did from the get-go. I think a lot of people think about Stripe's core innovation as developer tools. I think of it as uh, one of the, the really important ones that, that got us to where we are today is that that PCI shielding that you're highlighting there. We had the concept of a token since the beginning of Stripe where we would uh, we would store those card details and and the merchant or business owner wouldn't have to. And that was that was about 8 years ago that we started doing that. And so security is core to the DNA of Stripe. It's something that we think about in each new product that we launch because it as you're highlighting it's something that that distracts from delivering a product to your your customers. Building that that PCI vault. That isn't necessarily direct directly beneficial. And if someone else can solve that problem, even better, you can focus on on solving the problem that they came to. I think very broadly, hackers will often target the weakest link in a chain. They can stitch together many providers in in a long chain. So there's many weak links that you can possibly target. Uh, And so we're focused on when folks use us, you've got an end-to-end solution for for all things security. You send the card numbers directly to Stripe. We only provide one-time use tokens to merchants. And I think that really uh, reduces the surface area, especially in, in, in online payments. Yeah, it, it's funny. Uh, I talk a lot about trust and like there's a lot of evidence that consumers still have a huge trust gra- uh, gap with with online experiences, even from very well established businesses. And it, it, it's always ironic to me that fewer customers trust typing that uh, payment information into the tokenized encrypted browser than they do handing it to the minimum wage clerk at the store that has a skimmer underneath her desk. Yeah, I, and I mean, for, for good reason do a lot of folks not trust uh, the, the retailers that they're paying, not because of any bad intent, just because it can be so easy to, to breach these legacy systems, as we saw uh, with many of the breaches that have come to light recently. Uh, and so that's an area where... We really just try and focus and, and make sure that there aren't ways of, uh, of, of breaching Stripe merchants by providing them the, the best tools possible. But it's it, it's obviously so hard. And I, I think one of the, the really mind-boggling things is how can these small businesses have the kind of security that these large megacorps have? Uh, and even these large megacorps are, are getting breached. And so the more we can do to democratize security tools uh, or best practices, I think it's a really worthwhile place for us to continue to focus. Yeah, that is a, a, an awesome area of opportunity. And that's going to be a great place to leave it because it's happened again. We've used up all our allotted time. Um, so we certainly appreciated having you on the show. If, if uh, listeners have any questions, 
uh, they're uh, encouraged to go to our Facebook page and uh, post some comments there, and we can continue the dialogue. Um, as always, uh, re- uh, if you enjoyed today's show, we sure would appreciate that five-star review on iTunes. Gosh, really appreciated you being on the show today. If uh, listeners want to contact you directly, can they uh, find you on uh, Twitter or, or uh, LinkedIn, or what's your preferred uh, method of contact? Yeah, I'm pretty active on Twitter. It's uh, twitter.com slash Lockie Groom. Uh, that's that's my, my full name. Perfect. And we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, and so until next time, happy commerce. You've been listening to The Jason and Scott Show. For all the latest news and trends on e-commerce and shopper marketing, subscribe to us on iTunes or visit www.jasonandscott.com.